This is a great day to be alive. I mean, good things are happening. This is a, I'm, I'm excited to be a Christian. Um, my name is Ralph Deal. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the senior pastor here at New Hope. I've been the pastor of this particular church since 1980. A lot of history has passed. I accepted Christ as my Savior at the age of 23. Uh, prior to that, I lived the ways of the world, tried to satisfy my own desires, do what I wanted to do, made a mess of everything. When it all came crashing down at age 23, there happened to be some Christians there that took me by the hand and led me out of that darkness into where God wanted me to be. It was a, it was a great thing that God did in my life. But I I tell you that because it's kind of an introduction to what I'm going to talk about. Because we're going to talk today about the place of grace being in the loser's corner. I know what it is to be in the loser's corner. I know what it is to have everything turn against me, to, to be completely discouraged, have no hope, nowhere to turn. And that's when there were some believers that stepped into my life and gave me the good news and if, if I'm talking to some losers here today, that you look at your life and things that are important to you are just disintegrating around you and you feel like there's this intense loss in your life, I've got good news for you. Jesus is there just waiting to step into your life. Amen. So we're going to talk about how to find grace when you're in the loser's corner and you don't have any faith left. We're going to talk about that. So our text is from John chapter 21. The story we're going to read right now is, uh, if you remember from last week, Pastor Adam uh, talked about the feeding of the, the multitudes, and he explained to us that there were two times this happened, two different times it happened. And they didn't remember the second time that it happened the first time. It's like it was, was some time had passed. We're going to see another story here where something like that happened. In the very early days of Jesus' ministry... He visited a couple guys called James and John, sons of Zebedee. They were professional fishermen. And he told them that if you just put the net on the other side of the boat, you can catch this large amount of fish. They did it, and they were surprised. They were amazed, and they decided to follow Jesus because they saw that miracle. The story we're going to read today is very similar. It's the second time it happened. It's in John chapter 21. And I'm going to read through the story, and then we're going to come back and unpack it and relate it to our lives. John 21, going to start reading in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. You see, this is after the resurrection. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from, the, from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Everybody say nothing. 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 Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. 
When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus was fixing them breakfast. Isn't that an amazing story? I want us to look at the nets in the story from a couple different perspectives. First thing I want us to see is they were hopeful nets. When these disciples went out fishing, they were full of hope, full of expectation. They had no intention of returning back empty. They were going out to catch some fish. They've been out there all night fishing, caught nothing. But when they went out, it was hopeful, hopeful. You can't really live your Christian life if you've lost hope. I want you to know there's always hope. The hope is in Jesus Christ. It's not worldly hope. When you look at something from a worldly perspective and it looks hopeless, it usually is. You have to see Jesus in it. You got to export Jesus, import Jesus into your situation for there to be hope, for you to be encouraged, for you to be lifted up and have a reason to go on. Now, if you counted through those names, there were seven of them, seven disciples. Seven is the number of completion. It's how long it took God to create the earth, including the day he rested at the end. Seven. Seven of them. That speaks to me of community. We need to do things together. Pastor Adam talks about small groups and how we need to do what we typically do together. Together. Find somebody else that does likes the same thing you do and do it together. It's community. It also speaks of teamwork. They worked together. They had a common, heart, common goal they were going toward. And hope is an element of faith. If you want to be a man or woman of faith, you have to have hope. If you don't have hope, what's faith? What do you need faith for if, if you can make it happen on your own? Faith says we need something outside of ourselves to make us a success here. So they had hopeful nets when they first went out. But in verse 3, we see they had empty nets. Empty. Nothing. If you've ever set out to do something and came up empty-handed, you've failed at it, you know what he's talking about, having empty nets. Now, Simon Peter wasn't going out fishing because he thought that would be a, a good Sunday afternoon relaxing thing to do. He's going fishing for food. This is his living. He knows as long as I follow Jesus around, Jesus provides food for me. Jesus provides all my needs. He takes care of me. But now Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead and ascended up to heaven. Where's Jesus? He's not providing me food anymore. How am I going to eat? How am I going to provide income? How am I going to take care of my, myself? I'll go fishing. That's what I'll do. Worked in the past. I know how to do it. I am a fisherman. I know how to catch fish. 
So off he goes to catch fish. But he comes back with nothing. Maybe there's some of us in this room that are coming up empty-handed right now in your life. You look at your life and you see you've been shortchanged somewhere along the line. Things aren't like it's supposed to be. They caught nothing. Zero harvest. No farmer could survive having a zero harvest for one year. You have to have a harvest. He's a professional. Where did the fish go? Some of you may not be fishermen, so you're not asking where did the fish go. You're saying, where did the customers go? Where did the contracts go? Where did the jobs go? Where did the opportunities that I used to have go? They once were there, don't have them anymore. What's happened? You see, there's, there's different kinds of coming up with empty nets, different kinds of failure. Bankruptcy is a failure. When you invest your whole life in something and then things don't go the way you wanted and you lost it all. Bankruptcy, that is a failure no matter how you cut the cards. Divorce is a failure. You can blame your ex on it for all you want. It's still a failure in your life. You embraced something, you held to something, you hoped for something, and it disintegrated in your hands. It's a failure. Perhaps equal to that failure is a loveless marriage where you don't divorce, because that would be wrong, right? So you stay together, but there's no love in it. You're just living, existing, coexisting in the same house. That's a failure. God didn't call marriage to be people hiding from each other. He called marriage to be people that live life together, hand in hand. For you to spend your lifetime investing in your children, putting all, instilling within their hearts all your values so they could live the, the kind of life that you've learned to live after all these years, you finally learned some things, and you're trying to pass that on to your kids and to have them rebel and walk out from under that and run away from that, that is a failure. A closed door that you had all your hopes in is a failure. Empty nets. We want life to be full. We want life to be blessed. Where is the prosperity that the Bible talks about? Empty nets. You see, what the world think disqualifies us actually qualifies us. Think about that. The world thinks you're a failure. You have failed. Therefore, you're disqualified. But God looks at us and he says, now that your pride has been broken, now that you've fallen flat on your face and you realize that you don't have all the answers, now maybe you'll listen to me, God says. Empty nets. So let's go on. Verses 4 and 5 talks about what I'm calling hidden nets. There's some things in hiding here. You know, once you drop that net in the water, it disappears. Lose control of what's happening with the net. You do. You can't see what's happening down underneath. The nets were hidden, but if you don't drop your nets, 
you will never get a harvest. You must drop your nets. Well, I did that once and I come up empty-handed. You'll stay empty-handed unless you drop the net again. So I want to challenge us here today. We need to drop our nets. We need to get up off our loser's chair and we need to try again. Some of us in this room... Maybe somebody that's listening at home, you're so discouraged with the, with the negative stuff that's happened, you're afraid to try again. You don't drop that net, I'll guarantee you'll never win. And there's another hidden thing in our story here. That's, that's Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He's standing right there on the shore talking to them. Just drop your net on the other side. And they don't know it's him. They've spent three years of their life with him. They know him really well, but they don't know it's him. That speaks to me that Jesus is all around me. I just don't see him. I just don't see the people that that his spirit lives inside of that are all around me. But I need to recognize it or I won't listen to him when he says, just drop your net over there. It's a lesson in humility. These guys that had great confidence in themselves but failed have to learn that God loves to lift up humble people. Yes. And he loves to resist the proud. So if you think you're pretty cool, you're doing really great, you're on your own. Yep. <laughs> but he loves to reach out to the humble people that realize every, every success you've got in your life is by the grace of God. Yes. He at work in your life. And never lose your grip when failure appears. Because we will all fail. It's a part of life in a fallen planet. We will all be disappointed, but don't lose your grip when you get disappointed. I got the time. I'll tell this story. So I learned, I learned a valuable lesson years ago when I was young in the ministry. Our church was landlocked. We had outgrown our facility. We were jam-packed, two services. We didn't know what we were going to do. Didn't have adequate parking, classrooms, seats. Didn't have what we needed. So we knew we needed to expand. We, needed, we, we were landlocked, so we need, knew we needed to start over. So there was this building, commercial building that came up for sale on the edge of Waterloo, uh, up for sale by a company called AgriPro. It was a warehouse, and they were moving it out of Waterloo somewhere else. AgriPro was a big company at the time, headquartered out Kansas, Iowa, out there somewhere, and they wanted to sell it. And we looked at that building, and we thought, that looks like the key to our expansion. It was a 20,000-square-foot warehouse, just open space, 20,000. I looked at that, and I thought, oh, my goodness, that's way too big for us. We can't do this. And then we began thinking, what if we could get a deal on that place? What if they would cut us a deal? Because we're trying to do something good in the community. You know, there's some big businesses out there that really want to help the community. They really want to help people. And so we contacted them and said we wanted to talk to them about purchasing that building. So we met, uh, we arranged to meet in the conference room at the brand new Campbell Fetter Bank at the time. It was uh, 
uh, over here is like about 95, 96, something like that. We met in their conference room. We got our CPA to come in and kind of advise us. He met with us, and we met with these big shots, three big shots from AgriPro, flew out here just special to meet with us, and we made them an offer that was really lowball. I mean, they could get a whole lot more money than that, but we made them that offer. And they decided not to sell it to us, but to sell it to Covington Box. And that's where Covington Box is right now on US6 out here. They got a, they got a great facility, and they've, they've probably tripled the size of that facility, and we didn't get it. And I had gone to the church, and I had talked it up, talked to everybody about how the Lord had set up this opportunity for us. Would you pray? And we failed. And the next Sunday, I had to get up in front of the whole church and eat crow and tell everybody that wasn't what the Lord wants, but we know he has something else. I tried to be positive. And now, as I look at what we have today on this facility, I look back and I remember that was just a stepping stone. And I was so discouraged when they did not go our way. But what happened is... Once we looked at that 20,000 square foot warehouse, the mod, the wheels began to spin. Amen. What would we do? What would we, where would we put the classrooms? Where would we put a fellowship area? Where would we put the offices? Minds were spinning. You see, God was using that failure to set us up for success. Amen. And when we finally got this facility with no building on it, it was just a bean field, we had a, we had a dream. We had an idea what to do with it. Sometimes your failures are just setting you up for success because God had a hidden plan. And I believe he has a hidden plan for you. Just because he hasn't revealed it doesn't mean he doesn't have one. You just need to trust in him. Hidden nets. And that leads us to verse 6 in the story. If you remember verse 6, it talks about the full nets. They began pulling these... These, these nets up, and they're so full, they can't get them in the boat. 153 great fish, big ones. This is a full net, a large number of fish. You see, Jesus knew where the fish were. Yes. These disciples knew how to catch fish. Come on. They knew how to do it, but they didn't know where the fish were. Jesus had the missing ingredient. He knew where the fish were. And whatever you do for a living, whatever your goals are in life, Jesus knows how to make you a success. You think you know how to do it, but Jesus has the missing ingredient. He has the key. And he wants to put it in your life. You see, the disciples didn't need to flip-flop everything. They just needed to make a minor tweak. Just a minor tweak from... From this side of the boat to that side of the boat. How in the world can there be no fish on this side and all kinds of fish on that side? You see, Jesus knows how to find the fish. He knows how to find the customers. He knows how to find the contracts. He knows how to find people that can help you be successful. And the full nets required them to change their strategy. You see, when you got empty nets... You only need seven people to pull that net in. When you got full nets, 
Seven's not enough. You need some partners. You need to stretch. You need to change the way you do things. When we first moved in this building, we had to change everything because everything was different than the other building. So we had to modify everything we did. If all of a sudden you had two kids move into your house to be a part of your family, chances are you'd have to do some things differently in your house, wouldn't you? Maybe even have to go buy a bigger one. At least buy another bed. Full nets. Requires changing your strategy. You manage a full life differently than you manage an empty life. And if you keep trying to manage your life like an empty life, you will never get a full life. Because God won't give it to you. Full nets out of failure, out of empty nets. There are some examples of people who became successes after they were failures. One of those is Elvis Presley. When he showed up for his first studio uh, test, his manager said to him, you ain't going nowhere, son. You ought to go back to driving a truck. Selvis Presley. That'd be discouraging enough to make me walk out and quit. But he didn't quit. Here's another one. Fred Astaire. When he showed up for his first film screen, the manager who saw him perform made notes on his record. Can't sing. Can't act. Balding. Can dance a little. The rest is history. Then there was this guy by the name of Harlan Sanders who had a restaurant. Couldn't get customers to come. Ended up having to file bankruptcy and lost his restaurant. But he traveled around the country to try to sell this recipe he had developed for frying chicken, which he called Kentucky Fried Chicken. 1,009 restaurants told him, no, we're not interested in your recipe. But the 1,010th restaurant took him up on it. And today, the rest is history. Or it's dinner, I'm not sure what you're having. (laughs) Number five. Here's the fifth thing I want us to see, the abandoned nets. Did you notice in verse 7, they had these nets, and they're pulling and working, trying to get the fish on board the ship, so they had to call their partners in to help them. And then they jumped off the boat and went to shore. They left the partners to deal with the fish. You see, when they, when they recognized that stranger on the shore was Jesus, he became more important than the blessing they had just received. So listen to me, church. If you want God's blessing in your life, don't chase the blessing. Chase the blesser. I know people that will travel all over this country from one revival meeting to another revival meeting because they want to chase the blesser. Chase the blessing, excuse me. They They want an experience. Chase Jesus. 
He'll show up in your living room if you chase Jesus. John was the first to recognize. He said, it's the Lord. Jumped out of the boat. Once John said that, Peter recognized it. You see, faith is contagious. He jumped out of the boat. Then the others jumped out of the boat. Everybody ran to shore because they wanted to be with Jesus. And I thought about that. It's, it's just like anything that we introduce in the church. There are early adopters. There are middle adopters. And then there are late adopters. And we see that modeled right here. When we announced, when Pastor Adam, Pastor Adam announced last week that we were going to uh, do this uh, uh, push for small groups to get people together for small groups, there were just a couple people in our church who immediately, you, immediately you said to yourself, "Yeah, that's a good idea. I want to be a part of one of those groups, or I'd like to start a group." Statistically, that's about five percent will be early adopters and say, yeah, that's me. I want to be a part of that. And then there are people that have to think about it. And they have to make sure others are going that way. They have to make sure they're not alone. And after they think about it a while and process it in their mind, then they decide, yeah, I think that might be interesting. I want to find out what groups are being offered so I can be a part of that. And then you have the people that say, nope, not me. I'm not the least bit interested in that. I don't have time to squeeze one more thing into my schedule. But by the time we start it, they'll be in a group someplace. They're the late adopters. We always have those. And we see that modeled right here. So they left their nets and followed Jesus. This is interesting. If you remember in this series, we talked about the woman at the well who left her water pot to go tell others that she'd found the Messiah. And then we looked at the story of Zacchaeus up in the sycamore tree, left his tree to go where Jesus was. And Mephibosheth had to leave his load bar. Remember that? We're seeing again and again when people have an encounter with Jesus they leave where they were and go into new territory. They move a new direction. So you don't chase the blessing, you chase the blesser. God is good. Everybody say that with me. God is good. Say it again. God is good. He is always good no matter what it looks like, no matter your failure, no matter your discouragement, no matter your hopelessness, no matter what you've seen in the world around you, God is always good. So that tells me no matter what trial I'm going through, God is going to bring something good out of it. All things work together for good for those who believe who are called according to his purpose, not your purpose. He's, he doesn't check on you to ask if it'd be okay if he put you through this trial. No, he just puts you through the trial and then brings something good out of it. So I'm going to, I, I want to, I realize you get this many people together, we've got people who are going through a trial, people who are going through a failure. So let's all stand together. We're going to sing one last song. 
But we have some prayer partners in our church, people who know how to pray. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come on up here to the front to be available to pray with you. Come on, we have more people than that that know how to pray. I'm looking for people that know how to pray. Dave, would you come up here? Yeah. Hallelujah. If you recognize that this story was about you, if you recognize that you're going through some personal crisis within your life and it feels like you're a failure, it feels like you've lost, I'm going to ask you to leave where you are and come down to this altar. And all you have to do is say, say to these folks, I need prayer. Uh, I, I think if I were down here praying, what I would say is, how can I pray for you? Tell them what specific thing to pray for. And they're going to pray God's blessing in your life. We're going to believe God's going to take a negative and turn it into a positive. He's going to take a loss and turn it into a gain. He's going to, he, he's going to make us winners in this world. What if our personal salvation isn't so much about getting to heaven when you die as it is being overcomers down here in this world. I believe that's exactly the case. Be overcomers down here in spite of the obstacles. Devil, the devil wants to hold me back, but God is good. He wants to drive me forward. So if you need to go be driven forward, this is the place. Just bring it here. Let these folks pray with you. God's going to bring a breakthrough in your life.